Welcome to the Metal Hammer podcast, episode 165. I am Mel from Metal Hammer. Hello, everybody. Hope you're doing all right out there. We have a brand new issue of Metal Hammer that is out right now as you're listening to this very podcast uh, that is out on sale in shops across the UK. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. And I'm joined on this week's show by the one and only deputy editor of Metal Hammer, Miss Eleanor Goodman. How are you doing, El? Very well, thanks. How are you doing today? I am good. You've just had your vaccine. Yeah. Yay. Happy. Closer to normality. <laughs> I know. We're getting there. We're getting there. Slowly but surely. Uh, <laughs> also joining me today, Mr. Stephen Hill, writer of Metal Hammer Features and uh, also cover writer of Metal Hammer Features. How are you doing, Steve? Hello. How you doing? I'm good. Any side effects yet, Eleanor? Just a slightly heavy arm which I thought I'd got away with, but it seems to be happening now. But I mean, that's a small price to pay for yeah, immunity. Yeah. Right, small I mean, price to pay for being a uh, walking microchip. I have uh, two very heavy arms because I'm a hashtag big lad. But I was in bed <laughs> when I had mine. When I was in, when I got my um, vaccine, I was really fucking ill. You were, you were out of it for a few days, weren't you? I was. I was pro- probably hit me bloody hard. Uh, yeah, so I hope you don't get that, is what I'm saying, Ellen. I hope you don't feel like I did, because it was pretty brutal. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. That's encouraging. Don't feel ill, Al. Um, I, uh, I got, uh, I'm lucky to have had both of mine now, because I did a bit of the old volunteering at my local centre, and um, uh, first one was fine, second one did me in. So it's a lottery. Who knows? But it's fine. We'll all be good. And it means we can feel even uh, better about this blockbuster news that's come out this week broke uh in fact this very morning we're recording on wednesday it broke just a few hours ago the news that download festival have announced a 10,000 capacity event that is happening next month this is literally happening in about three and a bit weeks uh they're gonna have 10,000 people there it's camping only there's loads of details which we'll run through in a minute but um there is a download festival of sorts happening in a few weeks that's a bit mental in it what's going on you know, we've had so many cancellations recently and to think that a few weeks back we were thinking there'd just be a summer with no events whatsoever and holding on for bloodstock in August. And now it turns out that we've got this download pilot event, which is being uh, backed by the government. It's super exciting. Like the fact that there are going to be bands in a field in less than a month's time is mind blowing. It's going to be three days uh, of download, a smaller capacity download. It's so just so unexpected, but so exciting to think that this could happen. And obviously we've seen uh, previous government test events with things like the Brits. And there was, um, I think, like a rave kind of thing up in Liverpool that they did a few weeks ago. And the data from those events seem to be promising in terms of, uh, you know, not not creating like, um, you know, mini outbreaks and things like that. So hopefully this is a really, really promising opportunity for festivals to actually return uh to normal and yeah as you said with bloodstock coming up in just over a couple of months time this could be a real benchmark for for what the rest of the summer looks like and one of the main things they kind of advertised is that moshing will be allowed it's not going to be a socially distanced event it's not going to be uh, where you have to wear masks all around the festival site and all of that moshing will be allowed you're going to be straight in the pit aren't you steve Oh, big time. I tell you, I'm excited about this, mate. I'm very, very excited about this. Hook it into my veins. Well, actually, maybe not after the last uh, injection I had. Maybe don't do that. <laughs> but, but I mean, the idea that I, oh, I'm going to be really, really excited just to be stood in probably not particularly good footwear with really wet feet, cold and getting rained on watching a band. I don't even like that much, but 
with a beer that costs too much, and I still think it sounds like the best thing ever. That's I, I'm, so funny. I'm very, very excited. I have a little video of you somewhere, or there is a video of you somewhere, saying, I'm never, ever, ever going to download again. If, <laughs> if yeah. I ever say that I'm going, please show me this video, and it will make remind me that I don't want to go, because it rained a lot, and you were not happy about that. So if even you are excited, Steve, that's got to mean something. Mm. I mean, that was 2016, I want to say, when it was particularly bad that year. Savage, yeah, that way. Like really, really savage. But in those days, I was able to just wander around the earth freely, wasn't I, and do whatever I want. Whereas I haven't had that for a year. And so now, just the idea of, you know, even watching the temperance movement in the rain in, like, Converse sneakers covered in mud and shit and filth feels like the sort of thing that I would like to do. And I never thought that would happen, but I guess... It's a reappraisal of um, of everything that life is, isn't it? Really, and it's just it's really exciting. I'm very excited to go. I hope I do get to go. It's in, yeah. I mean, it's just I, I keep saying this, and I've been saying it to both you two, like in the in the fallout of this announcement. Like, it's we're talking about something that's three and a bit weeks away. Like, this isn't like oh yeah, later in the summer we'll get to do this thing. Like, it's it's imminent. It's happening. Um, so it's really exciting and uh, there's still some other details to be announced like the lineup for one um, it's expected to feature around 40 bands that's going to be unveiled on uh, Friday I think yeah so if you're listening to this on Thursday the full lineup of bands should be announced tomorrow um, and head over to melthammer.com to see that full list of bands early in the morning obviously I hope uh, and uh, ticket holders for download 2022 so that I guess that includes people who originally had them for 2020 then had them for 2021 now they'll be for 2022 you people that have been waiting for ages to just go to a download you're going to get priority access to purchase tickets when tickets first go on sale um, and all tickets will be weekend camping only this is an all camping event there's gonna be no day tickets released and uh, once you're at the festival you'll be expected to stay on site for the duration of the festival um and uh, there's going to be all the kind of testing type stuff that we've seen at other events uh, in a similar vein recently so um, this is a direct quote from the festival itself, actually, that I'll read now. Uh, Attendees must have proof of a negative lateral flow test result to enter the festival. As part of the wider scientific research on the trial events, the download pilot attendees, it's called download pilot, did we say that? It's called download yeah. pilot, by the way. Um, uh, attendees will be asked to take a PCR test before and after the event to gather further evidence on the safety of the festival camping experience, reduce social distancing, uh, and the removal of non-pharmaceutical interventions like face coverings. Uh, and you also have to provide contact details for the NHS test and trace app and all of that. So, uh, you know, all the kind of big safe measures being taken to, to try and get everyone into this festival. Also, a lot of really important research being done on how this will affect festivals moving forward. Um, this is a big deal. This isn't just you know, exciting for us metalheads. It's like this This could kind of uh, decide what the future of, of festivals looks like over the rest of 2020, which is, uh, 2021, excuse me, which is pretty, pretty big, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how it all works, uh, how, you know, it works with sort of the testing and you no know, social distancing. And obviously we are living in a country now where a lot more people are vaccinated than they were at the beginning of the year. So that's really good news. Um, and yeah, it'd just be kind of interesting to see what the differences are between this pilot festival and a regular festival and also what kind of things might tip into 2022 or any future festivals and kind of any measures they might keep in the way that they adapt it. 
Um, I'm hoping there's still an ice cream van. Yes. <laughs> download is not download until Elle has an ice cream in her hand oh, in the know, middle of the field. Other stuff too. Apple crumble, giant Yorkshire puddings. We've not even spoken about the bands. Oh, my God. excited about being there. Giant Yorkshire puddings. And do you remember those like those like giant uh, chili nacho bowls where the bowls are like made of nacho? Yes. Oh, you can oh eat my bowls. God. The I've seen ones, the rotisserie chicken with the potatoes. They have those lovely potatoes. I just want a bath of I could sit in a bath of them and a big chicken on my face. Do you ever think <laughs> <laughs> we could probably make that happen? Uh, do you ever think that we would be like like that's how starved we are for festivals? Like like Elsa, we've not even talked about music. We're just excited about food. That's enough for now. You know what? Don't book any bands. Just get us there, get food, it'll be fine. No, there are bands coming. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see what the lineup will look like. I guess. We'll probably have to expect that, you know, we're probably not going to get Maiden and Sister River Down or Kiss or Biffy or any of the bands that have been, um, any of the headliners that have been kind of booked in those headliner slots for the last few downloads that have been cancelled. Um, it's a 10,000 cap venue and, and I expect that the, the, the lineup will probably reflect that, won't it? Well, it's called Download Pilot. Who's a pilot? Bruce Dickinson. <laughs> Don't you dare. Some Sorry. idiot on the internet will run with that. <laughs> well, that guy I, from Blabbermouth will be listening. Just don't. <laughs> I'm, look, I don't know who it is, but I'm putting that two and two together and I'm telling everyone listening, it's definitely Iron Maiden. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. It would be amazing if they did a festival of that size and it mm. is their spiritual home. But it does seem unlikely. Yeah, I don't. I mean, we don't know exactly what the lineup's going to look like, but I think we can categorically say, if, in case anyone listening was wondering, no, Iron Maiden are almost certainly not going to play this festival. No, um, I, no, they're, they're not. Unfortunately, they're not. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I think you kind of would be looking at, I guess, the kind of bands who could maybe do a one-off date at Wembley. Maybe kind of Ali Pali sized bands, maybe Yeah, that'll make sense. A couple of nights at Brixton. Yeah. Probably British as well. Yeah, that would, yeah, so, that's a good point actually. A lot of them probably have to be British, I presume, because we've seen Bloodstock pivot to a, a very Brit heavy lineup, haven't we, with the way they've had to yeah, adapt yeah, their yeah. bill during the pandemic. So yeah, we'll so, see what happens. But um I mean the likes of, would you say bring I think bring me their eyes and an architects and and Shikari and you mentioned Neck Deep earlier if they're going to go for that kind of younger like slam dunky crowd as well um and there's plenty of options of bands around around and about that size isn't there in the UK yeah I mean it could be a really good opportunity in many ways because one of the things we do see said about download a lot is that it's not really been able to give um a lot of younger bands or modern bands the chance to excel in those real like high profile main stage slots and mm -hmm. of course this isn't a quote unquote proper download festival but it could be a really good opportunity to see what a festival based around a younger and i guess inevitably british bill will look like so i'm excited to see how this lineup rolls out we i imagine it will kind of tick a lot of the same boxes that download festivals normally tick there'll be i'm sure there'll be rock bands metal bands punk bands everything else um like i'm really excited i'm just so excited the idea of seeing rock music in a field literally a week ago 
I was wondering if we'd get to do that this summer. And now we might get to do that in like three and a bit weeks. It's very, very exciting indeed. So stay tuned to metalhammer.com for all the updates on that. Um, as I said, the uh, the lineup should be announced, I believe, at some time tomorrow. I'm pretty sure that's what it said in the statement they put out. So Friday is when the, the bands get announced and you can all start moaning about it. Yeah. Save it until anyone, then. <laughs> anyone who fucking moans about the lineup should have their tickets, should not be allowed to go. If you moan about the lineup, <laughs> like, fuck me. If you moan about the lineup, you need to sort your life. I don't give a sh- I don't care if it's fucking d- d- just disturbed. I probably would care if it's disturbed. Um, <laughs> what? Hang on a minute, Steve. Hang on, hang on. Yeah. If it was disturbed, I would be very, very happy. Okay. Yeah, again, to be clear, I don't think disturbed will play this festival. <laughs> But I would I don't take think like they're gonna come all the way from the states. I would take like Craig David and Scatman John at the moment. I you thought you'd take it. That would be yeah, that'd be sick. <laughs> Scatman John's dead, so it's not going to be Scatman John. Is yeah, it... big ask. Really? Big ask. Yeah, he died. Yeah, like about twenty-five years ago as well. I don't really know why I brought him up. He's go to eat um, R.I.P. Scatman John, and I bet you'll get loads of people going. Oh my god, no! <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> Bless him. He's, he's up there in Scatland right now, looking down it's, at us. It's Scat Heaven. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> did this happen? Keep it on track. Well, uh, yeah, it's all exciting stuff. Stay tuned to Metal Hammer for um, all the news about that. Lineup incoming, and I think tickets go on sale early next week. Um, current download ticket holders have priority. Uh, let's fucking let's party. How exciting! How exciting is that? And I'll tell you what's also exciting in another seamless link. Uh, it's the new issue of Metal Hammer that is out right this second. We are celebrating, this makes me feel weird to say this, 10 years of baby metal in the new issue of Metal Hammer. Um, we realised that the band were playing some 10-year anniversary shows over in Japan um, when we were first starting to think about uh, putting this issue together. So we thought, you know what? They are by far the biggest, the craziest, the most unexpected success story that Metal has produced in the last 10 years. We should celebrate it, so we did. So uh, the gentleman on this call with me now, Mr. Stephen Hill, uh, wrote a big old cover feature, an extensive cover feature, I should say as well, looking into 10 whole years of baby metal. Um, I think it's technically 11, but they've been celebrating it as 10 years this year. Um, And uh, yeah, it's just kind of putting this issue together has really made me realize what a colossally huge impact this band have had on metal and Metal Hammer since they first came along. There are two collectible covers to get as well, one with Sue Metal on, one with Mer Metal. Uh, our editor, Louise Brock, did a brilliant job bringing those together. Um, and yeah, it's out right now and you should get it. It's really, really good. And I kind of feel like the three of us sitting here have a lot to say about Baby Metal because between me being online editor when they first broke in the UK, Steve doing one of the first uh, baby metal features actually in Japan, and L doing baby metal's first ever UK cover feature. We've all had quite a lot of history with them, haven't we? I mean, can you remember L what it was like? Because you weren't working at Hammer when they first broke. Were you at Kerrang then, or still at Bazaar? I was working at Kerrang, and because uh, I think they broke around Gimme Chocolate, which is obviously around like 2014. Um, and yeah, they actually came into the office, uh, well, I guess they came into the office kind of the following year, which we'll talk about in a minute when they played Sonosphere and did the forum. Uh, but yeah, they came into the office and we met them all and the Japanese broadcast equivalent of the BBC, I think it's NHK, came in and were like interviewing members of staff about baby metal and the baby metal phenomenon. And 
as we've sort of we've spoken to some people in Japan about bay metal and a couple of them said that bay metal didn't really get like super super big until they got big here and then people saw how we were responding and then it kind of fed back into the scene in Japan which is a really interesting kind of uh process but yeah they were getting a lot of traction and uh it was just this huge thing wasn't it of who is this band where did they come from are they manufactured who manufactured them uh what is this doing in metal it just sparked this massive conversation about what metal was back then in 2014 what it should be and if it was kind of real or not yeah i mean it, that's a that's a kind of debate is old is metal itself really isn't it like what is metal is this metal it's not metal enough blah 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 but i feel like baby metal like pushed it not kind of you know they're clearly a metal band like you're a silly sausage if you don't think baby metal are a metal band right but they kind of pushed the kind of outrage around that debate to whole new heights and um it was it was just so weird because i was working as the as the online editor at hammer and i hadn't seen anyone in the uk cover this band before and i think I can't remember if I just stumbled on on YouTube or maybe Blabbermouth had reported on it or something. I don't really know. But um, I just remember seeing this random video online for Give Me Chocolate and it had like millions of views on it and just being like, what is this? Who is this band? What's going on? And I turned over to my editor at the time, Alex Mylas, and was like, have you seen this video? And he was like, no, what is it? And I was like, oh, I think I'm going to put it on the site. So we did. And the reaction to it was just crazy like nothing we'd seen before both in terms of people being excited about it like we said people being outraged about it what is this doing on this page and when you get a reaction so visceral like that to a band you also you instantly just think well there's something in this like this is there's something happening here and we need to kind of look at it and eventually we did a feature on it and then it kind of stuff really started to pick up with them getting representation in the uk they obviously ended up playing sonosphere and everything else and um it just kind of snowballed and went on and on and on and on. I was trying to work out, Steve, if your feature in Japan would have happened before or after Elle's cover piece. It's before. Before. Awesome. So I think that was, I don't know if that was the first feature we'd done, but it was one of the first features ever where a UK uh, journalist had gone over to Japan to do a big metal piece. So what was that like? Uh, it was mad. Um... It, it, I think it remains probably, I mean, I feel like I've seen a lot of things over the years. Do you know what I mean? I feel like I've seen a lot of um, amazing bands and a lot of amazing shows, but I don't think I've ever seen something as sort of genuinely unique as seeing baby metal in Japan. I mean, even seeing baby metal themselves anywhere is unique, but certainly seeing them in front of a kind of hometown audience was the whole experience, not just the actual concert, but the, and the performance that they put on, but just the way those people reacted to them, um, the crowd, the way the crowd behaved, like everything about it was completely alien to any gig that I'd ever been to before. I think it remains the most unique thing that I've ever seen in my life as a concert. People queuing up for four hours to buy merch before the doors are open. Um, all pop fans like these massive riffs that baby metal have and people that an entire 25,000 capacity audience doing a, a kind of synchronized dance routine along with the band seeing an entire crowd do that to so these really quite heavy songs you know you can kind of look at the 
the vocals and everything. But there's, like you say, Mel, there's no getting away from the fact that those riffs and stuff like they have big riffs and they are a metal band. And yeah, the, just the whole experience of being over there, seeing them doing that at that time was was kind of was kind of jaw dropping. And um, yeah, it was it was an insane thing. It was an insane thing to see. I mean, obviously, I'd seen them a couple of times before I went over there. And I was like, you know, what is it? I think like most people, you just go, what is this? First of all, your kind of first reaction to it is, uh, I've not I've not heard this before. This is definitely new. Like, I don't, is it good? Like what, you know what I mean? You're just kind of weirded out by it. And some people were instantly reviled by it. Some people instantly loved it. But I certainly felt like I was on the on the fence for a long time. But seeing, seeing them in Japan was just like, yeah, definitely the most unique thing I've ever seen, I think. Yeah, it was, it was it, I remembered you coming back and talking about all the, the synchronized dancing and stuff. I know that's the kind of thing Elle's seen at other Japanese gigs as well, because Elle's been to Japan and seen metal bands over there. They just do things a bit a bit differently over there. Um, and then we kind, of, we kind of stuck with it at that point. We were like, as, as Metal you know, Metal Hammer were the first kind of major rock brand to really kind of stick our necks out for pavement and be like, no, you know what? This is cool. It's exciting. It's fun. Like we're we're here for this and we we kind of stuck with them from that point on and it led to l doing um you did your first cover feature for metal hammer and baby metal's first cover feature it might have even been outside of japan but it's definitely the first in the uk um and you you basically trailed them for a couple of days didn't you to do that yeah 2015. yeah i don't think they'd done anything that big before and trailed them over three days so they played download festival with dragon force and then they went back to london and rehearsed for the metal hammer golden gods at the indigo 2 and i was there at rehearsals and then the following day i was there with them at the golden god awards at the indigo 2. so i got to see them across three days doing different things and just being at that download, it was wild because I think it was a bit of an open secret that they were playing uh, during Dragon Force's slot. And everybody was coming out to see them. Like, even before they got anywhere near the stage, everybody backstage, all people from different bands were coming up and, like, sort of whispering about them and getting pictures taken with them. Obviously, a lot of that was initiated by Baby Metal, but there was also a lot of that being initiated by other people. And then just generally, like, backstage... Um, people who were there were just flocking around them like you couldn't walk from their cabin anywhere without just like loads and loads of people just all swarming around them just asking for pictures or wanting to see what they look like or trying to take a photo with their phone it was honestly like mania and then obviously they went on stage and the tent was totally packed out people were queuing all outside it they came on did give me chocolate with dragon force and the whole thing about Baby Metal was that it just felt like something really exciting and like an event. Like they obviously did Sonosphere the year before, they did that show at the forum I mentioned, they did Download. And each time they came out, there were loads of people who wanted to see them because there were this kind of novelty. But also, like Steve said, you know, when you watch them and they dance around and they've got these riffs and they've got these outfits, it just feels like something is happening and it's a spectacle and you just have to watch it. So that was really cool and just to see uh, the level of excitement that there was in the uk for download and how people were just getting really really into it and in terms of the band it was just really interesting because they obviously there were the three girls and the cami band but the three girls kind of have 
an entourage with them at all times. So they had their interpreter and manager, like several hair and makeup people, someone who was kind of like looking out for their well-being. And so whenever you went anywhere with them, you already had this whole entourage of people that were around them the whole time. Um, doing their hair and makeup and making sure they had stuff to eat and that they were generally protected because I imagine it's quite intimidating especially when you're that age and they were teenagers at that point to be completely swamped everywhere you go by everybody like that's quite a big thing to deal with but mm -hmm. they were really super friendly and I interviewed them for the cover as you said Merle and that was quite interesting as well because I'd sort of been hanging out with them generally, like asking questions and just chatting kind of via their interpreter and all like, you know, hand gestures on both of our parts. But then we did an actual sit down interview and I felt a bit like ambushed because I sat down and they were like, oh, we're going to film it and this is where we're doing it. And the whole entourage was like standing around us and I was like, this is super weird. And then I hadn't done an interview with an interpreter before, so there was a lot of kind of asking questions and making sure you're sort of looking at the right people and engaging with them. And it was quite a strange thing, if I'm honest. I think like now I'm more used to it because I've spoken to them a few times. I've done other interviews via interpreters. I've done a few more things like that. But at the time it was just like, here are three people. Everybody's super excited about them. They're getting like mobbed everywhere they go. They've got a massive entourage what is happening it really was i think we called it a phenomenon it was like the baby metal phenomenon yeah it was just absolutely wild i mean i remember being um and, and working at golden gods and there was there was such a specific hype around them like like most golden gods you put together um you kind of you know Elle and i have worked on on kind of bringing the lineup together and and putting the show together. Steve's actually presented the Golden Gods a few times. And there's always that one band that plays in the night that you can sense other people in the lineup or in the industry are there to see. Um, and that year it was, it was, it was definitely baby metal. And like, I remember the, the, the a few baby metal fans that were down the front um, dressed up and all that kind of stuff. And you could just see the, the seeds being sown for this phenomenon that just has not stopped going since that. I mean, that was six years ago, that whole, uh, that first cover feature and like the baby metal phenomenon is still going strong i mean they just did 10 dates at the budokan which is one of the most kind of legendary and iconic venues in japan um to celebrate the their 10th anniversary which is one of the things that this whole cover feature actually kind of platformed off um and they've they continued to do stuff that's been really interesting and and stuff that's almost been trailblazing in a way i mean they became uh they broke the record for merch sales when they did wembley arena and sold it out um you know most uh, i can't remember if it was the most amount of merch sold or the the most amount of money made or maybe the fastest sellout of merch it's one it's what something like that but it might it might be all three to be honest yeah it could be it could be but it was it was something like that when the wembley arena think of all the bands that that venue has seen and it was something that wembley arena had never seen before um they played glastonbury as well and uh, I saw them at that Glastonbury set in 2019, wasn't it? Yeah, mm -hmm. the last one so far. <laughs> um, and uh, that was the first time I'd seen Baby Metal in a couple of years, I think. And it was the first time I'd seen them with a crowd that wasn't necessarily partisan and kind of already on their side. Um, and it and it really made me realise just how awesome it is having a band like that around. Because I don't know if there's an experience 
as wholesome in heavy metal as a baby metal live show because you could just see people kind of watching it for the first couple of songs like it was a bit of a weird curiosity that they weren't quite sure about and by the end of it everyone was just smiling on each other's shoulders like dancing around having a great time it was just so nice to see um and it's not it's not just because it's kind of based around three young girls but there's just something so sweet about the whole experience of a baby metal gig it's just so like it's so fun and enriching in a lot of ways and um you know they just keep on going and it just seems like i, I don't know what what kind of where they go from here i mean what do you think the future could hold for them out they're kind of i guess i guess the novelty factor of baby metal is over now to an extent people know they're here they're part of the metal world they're part of the furniture despite whinging people on the internet they're not going away they're going to keep being a metal hammer they're going to keep being in other brands as well you know they're here now where do you kind of see the future for them um panning out as you know as the girls continue to grow up more and and the scene changes what do you think the future might hold for them I think it's really open and I think it depends a lot on Cobra Metal. So we haven't really mentioned him, but he's the mastermind yeah, behind Cobra Metal and he put them together and he's always there as well as this ever present figure kind of in the background, um, making sure they're sort of um, in the right places at the right time. Or um, I presume he has a fair amount of um, sway over their musical direction. And I think if you look at something like Metal Galaxy, what was really interesting is that they just brought in all these different kind of sounds from all over the world. Like we talk a lot about global metal, um, you know, whether we should call it that or not, but kind of metal from different countries. And here were baby metal, like a metal band from Japan, kind of doing all different kinds of music, like a Bollywood style song. And, um, you know, they got uh, Johan Hegg on, didn't they? Not Johan Hegg, um, Sabaton. You, uh, yeah, yeah, from Sabaton to do like a sort of power metal song, and um, I thought at least the white like... white glutes as well from Arch Enemy. Yeah, and then obviously Kingslayer has been massive with them and Bring Me the Horizon from um, Bring Me's post human EP. So they are really good at doing stuff that's very zeitgeisty, and so it's really tempting if we're talking about the future to say they're going to follow the zeitgeist. Like they'll follow what the metal trends, like wherever metal goes next they will be going there because it's almost this weird thing where they were the trend in metal and like a new thing and then once they kind of got in there they were trying to put down roots with established metalers like uh, Rob Halford um, and Metallica and sort of you know they supported Metallica in South Korea um, they performed with Rob Halford they're really intent on kind of um, basing a lot of their imagery as well on like Metallica's like old shows so they've got all this kind of even though the girls didn't really know about metal before they started it cobra metal's got all this deeply rooted um metal iconography and like metal heritage in him that he brings to baby metal so you've got this band that were this new phenomenon with all this metal heritage but where i always see them go like or where we've seen them go recently over the last couple of years is kind of following those zeitgeisty trends mm -hmm. so i don't know that's a really interesting combination for me and i kind of think where they go next is only going to be forward, which sounds like an obvious thing to say, but I don't think, you know, they're a band that are suddenly going to become trad metal or whatever. I think they will just do a baby metal take on wherever metal goes next or invent something completely mad. I don't know, one of those two. I don't see them kind of going backwards or repeating themselves or doing anything old school i just see them as doing something that is within this sort of more like futuristic realm but it does sound like they're taking a break i mean it said 
uh, we got uh, like a quote from their management. They put out this press release and it said um, like their next chapter is to exist as a living legend, which kind of on first sight, you think to exist as a living legend sounds like you won't exist. But then it is a living legend, not just a legend. So I guess they're saying 10 years is over and after this, who knows? So I don't know. It's going to be something futuristic, but I don't know what it'll be. To be continued. Yeah. Um, Steve, you wrote the, the cover feature in, in this issue that's out now. And, and I should say as well, we basically covered Baby Metal's history as long as kind of the UK has been aware of them. But there are literally years of history in this band before they even got to the stage of releasing Give Me Chocolate. And we go into a lot of that as well in um, in this huge, I mean, it's like pages and pages that we've dedicated to this cover in the new issue. Um, was there anything in any of the people you talked to, Steve, or just kind of researching or writing out that kind of really struck you about the band or something about you didn't know before or, you know, contextualise it in a certain way? There's, I mean, the thing about Baby Metal is there's so much. I think what I got from doing it, I mean, if... if... <laughs> even if you're not a fan of them as like as their music or whatever i mean i am i am definitely more interested in them as a as a sort of entity in metal rather than i am someone who sits down and listens to baby yeah. metal do you know what i mean i'd say that i'd say the same yeah um but you kind of go back and you're like oh my god they've they've fit so much into um into a 10 year period, probably more than any other band in the last 10 years. When you think about what they are and where they've come from, where, like, you know, they started off in, uh, it's, you know, baby metal, people give it that kind of, um, oh, they're a manufactured band and blah, blah, blah. And there's kind of, there's no denying that. And there's no kind of getting away from that. And I don't actually think like personally for me, I don't really care about that sort of thing. I don't care where music comes from. I think I've said it on this podcast before. I'm more interested in, you know, is this music any good or not? I don't care who writes it or whatever, like it's fine. But um, the fact that they kind of came out of this, um, this other J-pop band and they were kind of part of a school. Um, they were kind of like, <laughs> I, I mean, even as I go to say it, I can't even formulate it or really explain it myself because it's it's so alien to the way that we in this country sort of treat music. But basically, they were part of a kind of Japanese pop collective who were centered around the idea of being at school. So they were like students rather than members of a pop band. And they all have these kind of little clubs that they go to and they were like the kind of heavy metal club. So they weren't even like it was just a kind of kernel of an idea within an idea of a band and it's grown from that to this massive massive thing and i think you know it was it was interesting to talk to the japanese journalist that that i spoke to who was sort of saying you know she believed that from the start she was like oh this is just a funny little i mean even they thought it was just a funny little thing that was going to be like a couple of songs and it wasn't until I mean she was saying they did it they did a show and they brought the camp the first time they brought the Cami band out with them, which was a good kind of nearly I think nearly two years into them actually doing baby metal based stuff. Um, they brought the band out and she was like, Oh, I feel like that was the she said that's the first time that that she realised that this was actually its own thing, that they were actually taking kind of metal seriously. Because before um it's actually not, I mean, one of the things that uh, I spoke to Paul Brannigan, who's a, you know, a, a long term, a, a kind of legendary um, 
music writer from years and who, who's worked for Hammer for many years and many other magazines. And he said something I thought was really interesting, which was that, you know, people have this idea of metal in Japan, that it's massive. But it's actually only the kind of really, really massive bands that get really, really massive. He was telling me about seeing Avenged Sevenfold and he was going, you know, they're playing like clubs in Japan. You know, they're not actually that huge. It's a bit of a myth that metal is absolutely massive. And the idea that baby metal were kind of this really cynical, oh, metal's really big and pop music's really big. So if we smush it together, obviously it's going to be massive. It's actually a huge risk. Stylistically, those two things are so opposed to each other that, it, that you know, it's, it's not a surefire way of making a massive band. And I think people forget how kind of daring an idea that actually was because they've become so massive. And when people kind of shit on baby metal or hate them because, oh, it's poppy or whatever, oh it's really mainstream oh it's you know it's it's really easy obvious thing to do it's actually not it's actually like a really kind of weird brave unique thing to do in the first place and um yeah i think that get that was something that i was like yeah when i thought back to when i first heard gimme chocolate and just was like well i've never heard anything like this before and we bemoan metal not being unique and being original and not having anywhere to go and kind of paint itself into a corner quite a lot but to have that when you had it like there's no getting away from it they are st like staggeringly unique as a band they, they just are about that with metal as a genre because in japan it's more kind of like uh the rock scene is a big deal like the idea of the rock star but metal not so much and it really was driven by cobra metal it's like he had this vision and then he carried this vision out and all the things that he loved about metal he wanted to bring in and do with baby metal and all the bands and things that he loves he wanted to involve in this baby metal world as well so it's just kind of i think it really did come from him like just pushing it and seeing if it would work and just seeing if he could make this thing happen which would just be crazy i think i even asked him like if he'd played it to his mum and stuff in the beginning when i spoke to him for the cover feature because metal is so like not known in japan that's such a great um, question by the way it's <laughs> <laughs> a really good question for a feature. we should do that more often with fans actually <laughs> well metal was like really not known in japan so i think i was just kind of saying you know like what did people think of this sound like what did your mum think that you were like working on this project um and yeah, I think he was kind of like, you know, um, it's sort of hard for people to get, but once they kind of get it, then it's it's cool. So I think I think it really was kind of him like making this happen. And when you talk about legitimacy as well, and you look about the writers he was bringing in, all of the writers are obviously meant to be kind of like anonymous, but we know that like they got someone from the Mad Capsule markets, and we know that the Kami Band musicians were people who were incredibly well-trained and exceptionally talented. So this wasn't some kind of like thrown together thing to make a quick book. This was like really thought out. Yeah, no, it really was. And it, and it's, it's amazing to see how it's all played out. Um, I mean, as I say, if, if, if this all is kind of interesting stuff and you're hearing some things that you might not have even known about baby metal before from this podcast, you need to go and pick up the new issue of metal hammer. Cause uh, it's such an extensive, I'd say like the most extensive look inside their career that anyone has produced in the UK, let alone, um, let alone metal hammer and uh it's out right now it's an awesome issue excellently written by steve painstakingly researched and tied together by l 
and uh, featuring two awesome separate collectible covers that um, our art editor Louise Brock put together. Uh, Mer Metals on one, Sue Metals on the other. So go out and see if you can find your favourite one. They are across the UK right now. Um, you can also get it delivered directly to your door from tinyurl.com slash gethammer. Um, and we should be announcing some uh, some uh, special edition ones soon as well, by the way. So look out for those um, also on tinyurl.com slash gethammer. Uh, there's loads of other stuff in the new issue as well that's great and we're very excited about. Uh, we go inside Iron Maiden's most underrated song. It's a Blaze Bailey classic that we dissect and talk to Blaze about. Uh, we have a big, very personal interview with Caleb Shomer from Beartooth. It's really interesting. He talks about a for everything from fucking ACDC to Crab Court to Fish and Chips. It's all in there. Uh, we reviewed the stream of the year, courtesy of Corn. Uh, L was very excited about that stream on the podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, we got a studio report with Ginger. We have the likes of Dune in there. We talked to Dune, uh, talked about Dune on um, the album review special a few weeks ago. They're a great young band. We've got Fear Factory, Monster Magnet, Satyricon, Holding Absence. Um, we've got, we unearthed, in honor of Mudbane coming back, we unearthed the first ever Metal Hammer interview that we did with Mudbane from way back in the very early 2000s. And we've reprinted it in full with uh, some new insights uh, on it as well. It's really really interesting piece that you're gonna um i think it's just really fascinating to see an old metal hammer piece uh unearthed in that way um, and we've also got a big piece on the clash of the titans tour when thrash conquered the world featuring the likes of slayer megdeth anthrax and more um i should say that we do talk to david ellison in this feature needless <laughs> to say uh this magazine uh was this feature was done before all the uh shit that's happened involving david recently um, but the feature is about the clash of the titans tour which was a huge huge moment for metal um, and there's the likes of kerry king and scott ian's in there and there's loads of great personalities in there as well uh, so go and pick that up but the main thing on there is the one and only baby metal celebrating 10 years Go pick up the latest issue to go and uh, to go get stuck into that. Um, and on next week's podcast, it's going to be the return of the Metal Hammer Hall of Fame, the Metal Hammer Podcast Hall of Fame, with the one and only Trivium. If you haven't voted for the albums you want represented, go over to facebook.com slash readers to get stuck in. It's looking like there's two very obvious favourites at the moment, but it could all change. Uh, and we'll find out which Trivium album gets inducted into the Hall of Fame next week. Um, I think that's just about it, really. Don't forget to stay tuned to MetalHammer.com as well, of course, to find out all the bands that are playing the Downloads Pilot event that is literally happening in a few weeks' time. So exciting. Hopefully, we'll see a ton of you there. Um, in the meantime, stay, stay safe, stay metal, and all that business, and uh, we'll see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.